Okay, so we're doing the power of communion, the supper, the sign, and the sacrament. So I actually need my notes. Here we go. So this is us. I want to start out talking about communion. We're going to take communion at the end of our time here. And um, next week, Gary Fry is going to be teaching, and then Sally's going to be teaching the third part. Sally has an amazing message on communion as it pertains to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so it's amazing teaching. I can't wait. So I just want to start out. There's such, for me, when I think about communion, I can't separate it from the gospel. And so it is so linked to the gospel. I want to, uh, there's a series on TV. I've never seen it. Someone in my household has watched some of this. It's called This Is Us. I won't name any names. I have never seen an episode of this, but I just heard that phrase as I was preparing. This is us. I saw you there. I want to just read the account of Ezekiel 16. I don't know about you, but this is my story. You want to know a little bit about me? I'm going to read my story here. Verse 4. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of those things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field where you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And this is the Lord speaking. And when I passed by you, I saw you there. And when I passed by you, I saw you there, struggling in your own blood. And I said to you, lying in your own blood, live. And I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field. And you grew, you matured, you became very beautiful. Verse 8, I swore an oath to you. I entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you. I adorned you. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty. Listen to this. For it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed upon you. It's really not the bride's beauty. It's God's beauty put upon her beauty. The story is from ashes to beauty. I just cannot get away from that phrase, I saw you there, as it connects to the power of communion. Communion cannot be viewed apart from the glorious gospel. You can never separate the message of the good news of what Jesus has done from this spiritual uh, encounter that's going to happen today. Communion has everything to do with the table. It has everything to do with testimony. It has everything to do with family. You know, it has different names. The Lord's uh, Supper, the coming to the table, uh, the Eucharist. Eucharist is just another word for thanksgiving. It's the giving of thanks for what the Lord has done. It's all different names for communion. But I just want to say this. Communion is not primarily traditional, and it's not primarily transactional. Like you come and something transacts. Those things, it is a tradition in the church, and it is transactional, but that is not the main thing. It is primarily relational. Communion is a relational interaction. At least as far as 
Jesus and Papa Paul were concerned, this table right here is about community. Paul goes after it so hard with the Corinthian church. We'll look at in a little bit if we get there. If we relegate communion to just a monthly or an occasional spiritual tradition of the church without deep awareness of the beauty of what is happening here, of what we're entering into when we partake of the body and the blood of Jesus, we will add to the growing number of religious folks who ultimately end up decentralizing the cross, the blood, in the gospel itself. That's why I'm stunned. I'm just blasted by what we were speaking out as truth today. The cross is the final word. I made the blood. Every song was just preaching this word today and making entrance. The entrance of his word, the psalmist says, psalmist says the entrance of his word brings light. God used this atmosphere of prayer and worship to prepare us for the entrance of this word to bring us to another level that we've never been to before as we encounter God through the beauty of his body and his blood. I want to look at John 6. If you want to turn there, I'm going to be in like verses 32 on for a little bit. But John 6 is this encounter this interaction where Jesus is sharing. He's presenting himself to the Jewish people as the bread of life. You know, Jesus is always using these, uh, these uh, analogies of the physical world of this common things. Bread was the staple food. I know like all us keto people are like anti-bread these days. That's not very Jewish. Bread was so staple and foundational. And so Jesus uses this analogy that he is the bread. Verse 32 Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. In other words, God gave them the manna. But my father now gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God, this holy symbol, this mysterious symbol is God, who's come down in the flesh, present tense Jesus in his midst. Let God be true and every man a liar. Verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. I'm sure Peter was piping up there. He's like so, so zealous. Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. It's just like the woman at the well. Man, if you got water that'll never run dry, give me that water. He's like, go a step further. It's track with me here. Connect. I am that water. I am that bread. I'm that which satisfies. It says, he who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. There's that word again, belief. The only thing that's required in this encounter with the goodness of the gospel, with this message, this picture of what he has done, is to believe it. And I tell you, the real war in this hour is to, it's a spirit of unbelief. Do you want to know the, if you pu pull back the veil of the religious spirit, 
Behind it, you will find the spirit of unbelief that wants to weaken you and dampen you and pull you away from the central tenets of the faith that have been around for 2,000 years, that are rock solid, that will, are eternal, that will never go away. Now, religious stuff will be shaken and fall off. It's why we're, we're in this move of God. We're stewarding the revival spirit so that we don't let men's traditions get on us and we shut God out of the building and call it holy. Put a stamp of holiness on it. Verse 40 of John 6, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Does that remind you of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes, believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus says this, the Pharisees, the religious spirit, every time you see Pharisees, just trade it for the word religious spirit. Pharisees or Sadducees or the scribes, their sects of the, the Jewish uh, tradition, uh, the Pharisees went super ultra conservative. Uh, and then you have the zealots who are, patriotic and just don't even get me started. So you have zealots, you have Pharisees, you have the Sadducees who are so super liberal in their theology. They are just, they are selling, selling a spirit of unbelief to the people. And you have the scribes who are the legalists, all in this. And all of it is a religious spirit to get you away from the simple, central tenets of the faith that God loved us and came. He sent his son to die for us and save us. So the, the Pharisees began to complain. Surprise, the gospel is always going to offend the religious. Do you know why the, the religious spirit is trying to re relegate this to a tradition? We do once a month or once a year, and we don't even know really why we do it, but we feel like we're supposed to do it. It's, it's one of the sacraments of the church that we all agree but the religious spirit wants to relegate it to something that we're totally, we do it disconnected and we have no clue the damage you can do to relationships, the damage you can do to your body, soul, and spirit when you do this disconnected from what it's really about, which is a man, Christ Jesus, and what he's done, the power of communion. That religious spirit is so offended. So Jesus what do you do when a religious spirit manifests? You say what is true in love. He says again, I am the bread of life. This is verse 49. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and guess what? They're dead. This is bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. G-O-S-P-E-L, the gospel. The gospel. He came from heaven. So Jesus says here in John 6, he says, I'm the bread, I'm the living bread, came down from heaven. He's, it's a statement regarding his deity. He's affirming. He knows they're going to kill him for saying things like this. They're already 
plotting his murder, but he is God in the flesh, and he's come to make every crooked thing straight and every rough place smooth, and he's always preaching the gospel, pointing back to the Father, what's true about the Father and why the Father sent the Son to the world. It's a statement regarding his deity. If any man believes this and receives that this bread is Jesus, that Jesus is that which satisfies, he says you're going to have eternal life. He's preaching the gospel. He refers to bread as his flesh, meaning this God became flesh incarnate. God became Emmanuel. God became Jesus in our midst. In a human body, he entered into the world. And when we appropriate or take in that belief, we receive eternal life. It's the simple gospel. Believe that Jesus came, the Son of God came from heaven to earth. In his body, is a, this bread is a symbol of his body, of his flesh that he came. And so when we take this and eat, we're saying again, I believe. This story that the entire world calls crazy. I take this not as a religious act or religious duty. I take this because I believe he is the bread of life, the Son of God sent from heaven. Don't worry, I won't put that back. And guess who's got to eat it from my sweaty fingers? Keep an eye on that, Tori, for me. Because if Braden sees it, he's going to take it. So... Isn't this good? I, I just love preaching the gospel. I love that we're doing this, that we get to continuously plumb line back to the gospel. So as a person receives bread to satisfy their stomach. So I came here very early this morning. I'm not even going to tell you how early I got here uh, to work on these slides because my, we don't have internet at our house until next week. And so I came here very early, and I was very hungry when I got up. And so um, you guys probably are surprised at this, but I just don't cook. Not a good cook. Sally's an amazing cook. So what do I do? I stop by Dunkin' Donuts. I get my extra large coffee because that's the kind of morning it was. Extra large coffee, and I got a bagel with cream cheese. It was so good. It was satisfying to my stomach. I took in that bread. Sorry, keto people, not trying to offend you. I took in that bread. And it satisfied me. In the same way we take in Jesus to satisfy our soul. I had a need to be filled, my stomach, to have energy and strength for this morning. Our spirits have a need to be filled with spiritual nourishment. And when we take this, something mysterious happens. It is food to our soul. It is food to our spirit. Our spirit is strengthened at this table, at this supper, at this meal. It's beautiful. Communion becomes a retelling of the gospel itself. Do you know the church needs the gospel? It's not just the world that needs the gospel. For one, we better get the world in the church, and the church better go out into the world so that there's transaction, transaction happening. But because of uh, fear, and the love of many growing cold and falling away because of not, not sticking to the central tenets of the faith, we, it is so imperative that we preach the gospel to one another and to ourselves and say, I'm still in. Gloria, I'm still in. I'm so, good, good, thank you. I'm just picking you up. I'm still in. 
I'm in. Sarah, I'm in. I still believe this. After 30 years of rededicating my life and running hard after the Lord, Sarah, I still believe this. I'm in. I have a word for you. I saw the spirit on you at the end of worship, Sarah, and um, I had a word for Julian Bruce this morning in the pre-prayer time. I saw the Lord scoop them up out of a crowd of people, and he just picked them in his hand, and he elevated them. He was elevating Bruce and Julie and saying, these are my jewels, and I just saw a season of elevation where the Lord was showing Bruce and Julie off, and I saw something similar to you, but he, it's like he picked, swooped you up, and he was twirling you around, and he was making everyone look at you, and you're just in a season of such incredible freedom. There's this, I've said it for weeks now, there's such a glow on you, but you are not the same person you were. Your, your testimony, the gospel, the gospel, the one forgiven much, loves much, but you've been freed from so much, but it's real. I just want to tell you, it's not your imagination. It's really happening, and he is twirling you and spinning you. He's showing you off as the bride. You're a picture of the bride in this season, sir. We love you so much. We bless, we rejoice in this gospel that as it pertains to you and your heart getting free, it's beautiful. We bless it. We bless. We got to rejoice when people get breakthroughs. We got to fight when we don't have the breakthrough. I mean, fight to get the breakthrough, but then we got to testify and share the breakthrough. In fact, I'm really excited, guys. This month of September, we're doing this series on the power of communion. October, we're going to do the book of Colossians, all four chapters, chapter one, two, three, four, the keys to Colossians. It is the most incredible journey for apostolic vision. It's incredible. And then November is going to be a whole month about the power of testimony. And we're just going to go after testimonies and the power of our story, the power of his story in the gospel. Then, of course, we move into Advent, which is, we're going to do. It's going to be called Heaven Came Down. Uh, for three weeks in December. It's going to be amazing. So, so much fun stuff coming. So, we need to share uh, the gospel and preach it to the church. So, when we do communion, uh, that is part of how we do that. We remind us who he is and who we belong to. I believe part of what happens in communion is it rids the church of confusion. I think we have to stay clear-minded. I just feel like, Lacey, part of your word, you're fighting, uh, fighting for that to be true. Uh, I just felt like there's spiritual warfare we were doing, warring for one another and family. But it's ridding us of confusion because the entire world is telling us this God story is a lie. The, the, the enmity of the spirit of this age, the second heaven realm, is screaming and fighting that it's not true. So to stay clear-minded about the true accounts of the gospel and the cross and the resurrection is so key. And it's why we can never make this a religious tradition either way. We can never push it to just a once-a-month thing we've got to do because we've always done it the first Sunday of the month. But we can't do it something where we do every day because you have to. No, you get to eat at the table. The same way I got to go to Dunkin' Donuts this morning. I was excited. I get to do this. It's a beautiful relational uh, tool. But what I'm realizing, and I just felt this confirmed through Lacey's word, it's a spiritual warfare tool. Who knew that communion was an act of spiritual warfare. It's taking that little lie demon, let God be true and every man a liar, we're putting it under our feet and saying, I still believe. 
I still believe it's true. The simple purity of the gospel. God so loved. He so loved. He didn't just love. He so loved. His heart exploded, exploded with volcanic passion for human beings. And it drove him to action, to give the very greatest gift that he had, his, his beloved son, to come as a man, as a baby born from a virgin, to come and to walk for 33 years the dusty roads to endure and see everything that we've been through, to know every temptation known to man, and to do it as a sinless man. The God-man Jesus came, and then he gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice that you and I may not perish, but we would just simply believe this story is real. It's true. It's 100% true. He did it. He gave his life away so that we wouldn't perish. And that, it's like, that would be good enough that like, I'm just, you know, I get to have joy on this side of the age. But we get to live with him forever. Eternity is our reward for just being like a little child and saying, I don't believe it's fantasy. I don't care if they're rewriting history right now. I don't care in Psalm 2, that the kings of the earth mock and scorn and sit in closed doors, rooms, trying to rid the world of this message of Jesus. It has always been true, and it will always be true. And every time we come to this table, it is agreement. I still believe it. It's relevant I sign up again. I choose to believe again. I'm clearing myself of confusion. Okay, just to close here. The Lord's table is these things. It's a memorial. Anyone ever had, well, so I, my, my father died our first year of marriage, so 27 years ago, my father passed away. We have a gravestone in Mitchell, Indiana, that I can go back as a memorial to honor my father. So communion is like a memorial. We're honoring the memory of what has happened. It's remembrance. I want to talk about remembrance just in a minute. But it's also true communion. The word communion is so appropriate because we're abiding with him when we do this. We're coming into this covenant of touching his heart. It's also mystery. I know the Catholics get a bad wrapped sometimes through their view of transubstantiation that this actually becomes the body and the blood of Jesus, and it's offensive to many. But I just want to challenge you. There is something mysterious. I mean, mystery. God is wrapped in mystery. When we do this act of remembrance and love, something powerful happens. So there is mystery behind it. It's also, we do it because it proclaims the gospel. Paul said this in uh, in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, we show forth the Lord's death until he comes. It's a declaration to the world that we believe Jesus was God in human flesh who died in our place uh, by atoning our, for our sins for us. The next one, it's the celebration of his future coming. Part of what happens when we're at the Lord's table is we're saying, uh, how did that fall over? Wow. Did I do it? Wow, that's powerful. Um, 
it's, uh, the, we're saying, you're coming again. Now, we pro- probably if I polled everyone in this room, we got 100 people or so, we're going to have 100 different views about eschatology in the end times. But hopefully we all agree there's more than what's happening right now. He's coming back. He's coming back. However you believe that happens, the Lord is returning to make every wrong thing right. And he will rule planet Earth fully. He already does, but he's going to fully govern and rule. So when we do this, we're celebrating his future coming. You know, it's centered on Thanksgiving. And the early church was part of a bigger love feast. They would have an agape feast, a meal together. And at the end of every meal, they would partake in the, the Lord's Supper. We know it's one of two uh, sacraments agreed upon by all Christians everywhere at all times. We know in the early church, it was practiced at a minimum once a week, usually two to three, maybe four or five times a week. Every time they met and came together, they always did the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. What I love about the table, the table, it makes everyone equal. You know, not everyone can get up and sing like these two. Not everyone feels comfortable praying on a microphone. Not everyone can even come and give in the offering. But with the Lord's table, everyone gets to come. Rich, poor, black, white, young, old, broken, perfect. (laughs) Uh, You all get to come to this table. Isn't that beautiful? For those in Christ Jesus, no matter how you feel, where you are in the journey, you get to come and partake in this. And then the last thing, it's set against the backdrop of betrayal. Do you know the Last Supper, which is really the first, I think it's the first supper. I think the Last Supper is the marriage supper of the Lamb, which Sally will hit in Revelation 19. But the first supper is set, the be- this beautiful thing where Jesus leads them in communion and shows them how to do this. It's set against the backdrop of betrayal, making it all the more juxtaposed and beautiful. I don't know about you, but I've said this before. Where two or more gathered, there you have a mess. So in the messiness, in the messiness, that's Marvin translation, in the messiness of doing family and life together, bumping up and bruising one another, there's something about the beauty of laying all that down and coming. Jesus broke bread with Judas. (sighs) Jesus served the one who is going to betray him. There's something about the fear of the Lord that gets me when I come up and I partake of this, that I can't have enmity towards my brothers and sisters when I do this. Paul actually said that kind of behavior, he said to the Corinthian church, it's the reason why there's sickness among you. Some are even dying. There's literal death. Guys, we're talking about new covenant, Years into the new covenant. And Papa Paul says some of you are actually physically sick and dying because you're making it about you. You're not taking it with, uh, you're not understanding the connection with God as you do this. How beautiful this is. And you are warring against your brothers and sisters. You're not honoring them more than yourself. So we lay those things down when we come to the table Okay, oh man, I wish I had another hour to do this. It's so good. Let me just close this out with remembrance. Okay, we think of remembrance like Greeks. Oh, Nikki, remember last year when we went to Holiday World, and we didn't actually do this, but remember when we went to Holiday World and we rode that roller coaster? Man, that was so fun. I was, woo! 
it was awesome. We were just remembering an event and remembering it in terms of the past. When Hebrews remember, they actually move into a present tense encounter with that. So when, when uh, we say, so Jews who have been converted, you know, Jewish believers, when they come and they remember, let's say, Good Friday, they're remembering, like, they enter into the beauty of what happened. That's why I love our arms wide open, our Good Friday service. It is so inner, entering into the present reality that this isn't just one more good movie or fantasy. It actually happened, and I'm choosing to put my body, soul, spirit um, into it. I'm just going to close out. So the question of how often, you can close it out, guys. The question of how often do we do this becomes a scary question because some people leave here and go, oh, I wish we could do this every week. Uh, I wish we would do it. Like, we won't take it. If we do it too many times, we won't take it seriously enough. It'll just become rote activity. Um, I just want to say, if this is a proclamation of the gospel, how much is Jesus, how many times is Jesus worthy to be proclaimed? Would you ever come in here and say, well, uh, Jesus in the church isn't worthy of an offering. Tom, I really think we just need to stop doing offerings. We need to not do worse. He's not, he's not worthy enough for singing. Like, that's crazy. So why do we suddenly get religious about this question of how often? It's because the church has made it tradition for so long that we're disconnected, that this is worship right here at this table of fellowship. And we could do this every single day and have God encounters every time if it's about connection. If it's about connection. Uh, we're reading a book right now. Um, hey, Brandon, can you go to that last page? Yeah. Uh, there's a few of us in here reading this book by Benny Johnson um, uh, from Bethel. It's called The Power of Communion. It's rocking our world. I just encourage you guys. It's about the learning the joy of the gospel and taking communion every day and watching. It's a divine experiment, watching what happens in your encounters and also as a tool for intercession. It's powerful. Taking communion on behalf of others who need breakthrough. And so just want to encourage you guys uh, with that. We're going to go ahead and close out with a time of reflection. The next three weeks, including today, we're going to do communion different every week just to break out of the box. I'm sure Gary will do it a different way. Sally will do it a different way. How I'd like to close out today, Ethan, if you guys could come up or just you come up and play. I just want you to take, uh, normally we take this together or as families, I want you to take it as an individual and just come up when you're ready. You're dismissed. And whenever you're ready to come up, just, uh, and again, this is for believers. If you're a seeker here today and you haven't made that decision, first of all, I pray that you would not leave here without making that decision for Jesus. The gospel has been clearly preached today. It's real. It's true. So grab someone next to you and say, hey, I want to make a decision for Jesus and then come join us at the table. Um, but if you have if you have, have that belief in your heart about who Jesus is, what he's done for you, then you at any point right now can just come to this table. And I want you to just sit for a moment. Just bring it back to your seat and sit and reflect and connect. Connect with the gospel. Connect with Jesus as you do it. Make it a true interaction and fellowship.
instead of hurrying through. And then when you're, when you're done, you can be dismissed. And we bless you guys. We will see you uh, Wednesday for dwell. So feel free to come ahead up and partake.